know is brought to you by the physicians and staff of Nebraska Cancer Specialists. We are grateful for their time and support on this project. Nebraska Cancer Specialists is the largest community oncology practice in the region and the regional leader in cancer diagnosis, treatment, and research. Their physicians are some of the most experienced and highly qualified in the area. Nebraska Cancer Specialists provide considerate, state-of-the-art care for their patients at their five Metro Omaha locations. You didn't choose your diagnosis, but you can choose your care. Experience you can trust. Compassion you can feel. Nebraska Cancer Specialists. NebraskaCancer.com. Welcome to In the Know with NCS. I'm Kelly Horn, and today's topic is integrative oncology. Integrative oncology services at Nebraska Cancer Specialists include occupational therapy, mental wellness, genetic counseling, palliative care, survivorship clinic, theranostics, and a unique geriatric clinic. Today, we'll be discussing the mental wellness piece something everyone at some point in their life has dealt with, whether it be themselves, a friend or a family member, maybe a neighbor or a coworker. It's an important topic, and we've had many questions regarding it over the years. In 2018, approximately 47.6 million adults in America experienced some sort of disruption in their daily lives, leaving them feeling at times anxious and unaware of the future, possibly feelings of out of control or depression. The list goes on and on. A cancer diagnosis, treatment, and follow-up appointments can certainly take a toll on both your mind and your body and can affect you in ways that are unimaginable. We are here today with Lori Wingerter. Lori is a licensed mental health practitioner with Nebraska Cancer Specialists, and she's here today talking to us about what we should know about mental wellness. Welcome, Lori. Hi, thank you. So integrative oncology, our listeners today may or may not have heard this term. Lori, could you tell us a little bit more about what integrative oncology means to you and some of the services that you provide to the patients and caregivers at Nebraska Cancer Specialists? Well, integrative oncology, it feels like a new term, but it really isn't. It's it's probably around 20 years old, and there are actually integrative oncology organizations around the country uh, for professionals and for um, patients. But it's it's such a, a brilliant way to treat patients, and it's really about treating the whole person. So, you know, there's we have the traditional medical treatment that we receive, but the thought is what else can we integrate into our treatment or into fighting cancer so integrative oncology is really looking at all those other components that you mentioned, and there's others such as nutrition and, and movement, uh, which other people call exercise, but we call movement, but even things like yoga and um, tai chi, and of course the mental health component is, is what I do. And, and it's really, I look at that as the third prong of, of cancer care. So we have, um, we treat the mind, body, spirit. The story that I like to tell is uh, cancer. When you have cancer, you know, our doctors and our treatment team do a brilliant job of, of uh, managing it, uh, operations, chemotherapy, radiation. But the missing piece has always been no one treats the spirit or the emotional wellness. And so that's what I try to do. Great. 
So in this day and age, why do you feel that there is a need for mental wellness services, especially in the oncology field or with a cancer diagnosis? I mean, the need, it, the need has always been there. It's, it, again, it's part of the whole person. So you can't separate physical illness from emotional or mental illness because it's, it's part of who you are. It's, it's, it's the whole person. Um, but that, you know, our medical oncologists and our medical treatment team, this isn't what they do. So it's, it, it's always been critical, but in my opinion, until the la- until recently, it's always been a missing piece. Um, if you look at research now, just generally speaking, depression and anxiety in our country are at the highest they've ever been. So you can imagine when you partner that with cancer, everything escalates. Sure, sure. Yeah, or worsens, yeah. So more of a collaborative approach to treating cancer and working alongside with the medical oncologist yes, to care for absolutely. the patient in multiple ways. Absolutely. I love it. I love it when I get a question or a suggestion from uh, a patient's medical team member, and we collaborate together on how to best help our patient. And when you collaborate, it elevates the level of care. That's the best care. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to some, a cancer diagnosis may seem like an illness that affects them personally and physically. Um, we talked. We touched on this just a minute, but why is mental wellness important in a cancer diagnosis? And let's kind of talk a little bit about the physical treatment, the radiology, the oncology piece, and then the mental health piece. Well, you know, and again, I um, what I've observed is that traditionally we we I always say we cut it out, we burn it out, and then there's this expectation or this even invitation to, okay, you're, you're great. You're done. Go live your life. And that's the point where people really freeze up. And, and it happens every time because up until that point, I've been actively treating my cancer. So I have this whole team of people around me. They're helping me fight cancer. And when that's finished and they say, okay, we're done. We don't need to see you anymore. Don't come back here. It, it causes a lot of anxiety, and that's so typical, and I see it every time. The, the way I describe it um, to patients is, you know, when you're first diagnosed, you, you get your fists up and you're ready to fight, and that's what you do. Um, and you have a team of people helping you do that. But when treatment ends, you know, your fists come down, and, and everyone expects you to just be happy. This is, it's over now. Let's just be happy. And the opposite usually happens. Because once we stop actively fighting this wave of emotion, and which includes anxiety and depression and fear and stress, all of that that we've been keep, we've been holding at bay while we f- actively fight, all of that um, comes crashing down, and so I call it a big wave of emotion hits us, and that's when I think it's the most critical point in the cancer journey to. Um, to seek emotional support and to, and to have that on board. I would prefer that you know, every patient have this on board throughout the whole journey from, from the day of diagnosis for as long as they want. But that's really that critical point when active treatment stops. Now we have to go back and heal everything. And the, the spirit's the biggest piece of that. So let's talk a little bit about 
the services specifically for Nebraska cancer specialists. And if you could elaborate a little bit on, do all oncology practices provide mental wellness services? Oh, I wish. Or is it unique yeah. in in our services yes. that we have? It, it is not standard of care, and it should be. It's, it's, it's why I'm here doing this. It's why I fight this fight, because it, people don't know that this, they assume it's part of the treatment, but it isn't. And so in Omaha, it, it, it's not standard of care. You know, you don't get diagnosed with cancer and, and then get referred to a mental health professional like me, or, or there's others, you know. So it's not standard of care, but I... And, and you don't see it. Um, I mean, in the hospitals, we have social workers, and they do a great job there. But that's, you know, inpatient care. So I, I'm really, I'm so proud of Nebraska Cancer Specialists for seeing this need and, and um, taking the steps to get this on board and make it part of our treatment plan. Um, it, it's special. And if you look around the country, of course, there aren't a lot of community standalone oncology centers. A lot of times they're, they're associated with the hospital or, or a learning institution. So there you'll see a lot of mental health research happening, which is important and critical. But this on-the-ground clinical work that we do at NCS it doesn't really exist. It's very uncommon. So I'm really proud of the work that we're doing and, I don't know, um, leading the pack. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and so it's a little unique in the sense that it's a thing that we are able to offer here in the city and at our clinics. And yes. and I, I agree. I'm proud of that, too. Mm-hmm. So we have many patients ask us how to talk to their kids about a cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Could you elaborate on how you would address this with a patient or a caregiver? I would love to. I wrote a little chapter about this and because Great. it's so important Again, there's just these assumed actions or things that should take place. And and that historically has been, I don't want to scare my child or my children. I don't, if I say the C word, that's going to scare them. Mm -hmm. Research tells us that the opposite happens. If we hide things from our kids and we're not honest and forthcoming, that frightens them more because then their imaginations take hold and they start imagining the absolute worst scenario and they don't know what's going to happen. So research tells us it's very important to include children of all ages in in um, decision-making, in updating the family on what's going on or, or, or what the um, you know, the mother or the father, how they're feeling and what that means. I always say uh, the best thing that you can do is check in with your child frequently and just, you know, just ask questions like, how are you doing with this? If, you know, there's some hard questions that children will often ask, like, you know, mommy, are you going to die? And that's where I would love to have someone like me helping with that. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have to really think about how you're going to answer, but tell the truth. Don't sugarcoat. If, if, you have, um, if you have a particular cancer that's a body part, we need to call it what it is. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I would say breast cancer um, versus, I don't know, a, a different kind of female cancer. And you, and you would call it cancer. We don't want to call it owies or mommy's sick or daddy's sick or, mm-hmm. I don't know, little kids. We don't want to say boo-boos because sure. then they think 
when they get sick or they have an owie, it's going to look like what mommy's going through right now. Sure. And so really important to use accurate language. Um, also, for kids, you, wanna, you want to watch for unusual behaviors or um, just changes in how they're functioning in their life that aren't really who they are. They're not consistent with who they typically are. That's probably related to cancer. It's probably related to this whole journey. So it's not, you know, if you're, the inclination as a parent is to, I need to, I need to reprimand or I need to address this behavior. But really, it's probably coming from their fear um, about surrounding what's happening. It, research tells us that there are two things that children of all ages, so that, that means, you know, birth up to eight, 18, um, the two things that they're always worried about is that it, it, they're very um, egocentric beings, and they just want to know, are they okay, mm-hmm. and do you still love them? Mm-hmm. That's really what they want to know. For sure. So okay means, do I still get to have my room? <laughs> do right. I still get to go to soccer? Um, you know, will we still have our Sunday dinners? Whatever's important to them. And then they want to know that you love them because that keeps them safe. So I, I encourage my patients who have children to s- tell their children they love them often and, and just a physical touch as well. Mm-hmm. So hugging, touching them on their arm or their hands, it's all of that's really important. So you mentioned the question, mommy, are you going to die? Yes. We've heard that yeah. over and over and over. What What do you say yeah. as a parent? I'm a parent with um, two little ones and mm-hmm. have been a um, have had a parent go through something like this. So how, how, how do you, how do you address that with them? The first thing to do is take a deep breath. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest one. And so, you know, just let's calm this down. And and that's every patient's greatest fear is how do I answer that? So taking a deep breath does calm the body a little bit, but then I would, I always encourage people to ask, well, that's an interesting question. What makes you ask that? And so you're going to say that a little differently if it's a really young child or if it's an 18-year-old. Well, you might phrase that differently, mm-hmm. but find out why they're asking. And if it's, you know, if it's a small, because we're thinking now I have to say, yeah, well, I might die. I don't mm-hmm. know. But the truth is um, they might be wondering, well, I just, I'm wondering who's going to take me to soccer next year <laughs> or, right. you know, they, it, because they're very egocentric. And so, but if they say, well, I just, you know, or they might say Tommy's mommy at school died or or somebody's daddy died and they had cancer. And and then they might say, well, do you have the same kind of cancer? And so you you really want to investigate on where they're, why they're asking, where they're coming from, but they truly might want to know, are you going to die? And so then the answer would be, uh, you know, I can't, I can't. I can't tell you yes or no, but what I can tell you is mommy and daddy and whoever is in our family, we're all working really hard to fight this illness, and, and I'm staying alive. I'm trying, I'm doing my best to stay alive, um, and so know that every minute of every day, I'm doing what I can, and that's why I need you on my team, and so we, you know, we turn it around to... We never want to lie. We don't want to tell the truth, but let's focus on on what we are doing and focus on what's within our control. Sure. Yeah. That's a big one. It is a big one. Um, we, we talk a lot about keeping a positive attitude as well. And we 
we know that there are days when you're feeling better than others and it can be tough to keep a positive attitude. So how do you suggest patients work through the feelings they may be experiencing? Well, I would answer that with, first of all, let's call, let's call it something different because when you say positive, typically what I see in my office, when you, when you, when, when someone says, just be positive, to a patient, someone fighting cancer, you just want to punch them because, you know, <laughs> this is hard. And so uh, you want to say you be positive and you don't have any hair and you, you can't get out of bed in the morning and, right. you know, all the things right. that happen. So I, I encourage people to change the word positive to optimistic. Okay. Let's be optimistic. Sure. Because that allows then for hard days. That, that leaves the door open for me to just have a really crummy day. I'm really tired. I, I can't do what I want to do in my day. But I know tomorrow when I get up, I'll feel better. I mean, that's my hope. And so optimism to me is hope. Um, things that you can do, I mean, and that's kind of what integrative oncology is all about. Um, if, if, I had to, if I had to give you a, a recipe for what I do, it's really, you know, someone comes into my office and when they're outside of my office, in the, in the medical side of our building or, or wherever else they are in the world, they're fighting and they're portraying that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat this thing and, you know, this, I got this. And you're hearing that from everyone. But there's, you know, there's always fears for sure and there's always concerns and there are thoughts that I don't know if I can do this. So when they get into my office, that's the safe place where they can say those things and pull them out of, of them themselves, and I hold that for them for the 50 minutes, and we process it, we cry about it, we, you know, we talk about it, and the goal is to heal it enough that we move it on out. And so if we can take those fears and anxieties and move them out of the person, that creates space then to put healthy things back in. So then that creates space to say, you know, I am going to go for a walk this afternoon. It's beautiful. And I say, great. You know, nature is the best medicine. Go do that. Or now I have a space to, I do want to reach out to that friend who really has always cheered me up or been a great friend. Before, before they came into my office, it was too overwhelming and they were too oppressed by all the negative or difficult emotions. So so the goal is to to pull that stuff out and heal it enough that we can put healthy things back in. I like that yeah. word optimism and opt being more optimistic and I li- I like that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about body image. Many cancer diagnoses require surgery or treatment which may change the look and the feel that a patient's used to. Could you elaborate on what patients can do to keep an optimistic view of their body? Yeah. And get used to the new. And this also relates to caregivers, too. We have a lot of caregivers who ask this question to us as well. Yes, and thank you for mentioning caregivers because, um, I mean, they're part of this equation. Absolutely. And my opinion is that caregivers are the forgotten population. I mean, these people are out there fighting just as hard, and they're so scared, and there's not a lot they can do. And so, you know, just a side note... Caregivers deserve all of the same support that we're talking about. 
And I absolutely am always happy to have a caregiver come in and, and see me and work with me. Body image is a tough one. Um, I mean, because what we're, what, we're, what we're typically talking about is cutting body parts off. Mm-hmm. Or they're so, um, I don't know, cut on that they're deformed and don't look like at all what they used to. So it's essentially what we're talking about is grief. It's a loss. And when you, th- when you talk about grief, typically people think about someone dying. But grief is really loss. And so in this instance, in, I mean, just being diagnosed with cancer is a loss that we need to process. And then reframe how we're looking at it and you know, what can I do about this? So uh, if, you know, if you lose a body part or we know we're going into surgery and going to do that, I encourage patients and I help them, but let's, let's, you know, let's just stop for a minute and say thank you to my body part. So it can be a breast, it can be, um, you know, part of your colon, it can be, I, I've had patients that part of the jaw is removed and, you know, melanoma, big chunks of skin come out and your body is forever changed. So let's just stop for a minute and say thank you and to this body part that's sacrificing itself so that you, know, you can go on and live. And that seems to be really helpful in just beginning that grief grieving process and that healing process. But then it does, you know, after that, it's really about reframing my thoughts about um, how I see myself. So an example is, I have a lot of breast cancer patients who have reconstructive surgery. And initially, I think for everyone, they hate it. They think, they look down and say, this is not me. I don't know what these things are. They're not. Mm-hmm. This is not my body. It certainly doesn't feel like what my body felt like. And, and we knew that going into it. But when you have to live it then and look and look at it in person, it's really hard and that's a, that's a piece of the grief. So it, 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 it does take some therapy and just some work surrounding um, healing the loss, but then finding the good that comes from the new, the new body. Or, or, and I think at the top of that list is being alive. <laughs> sure, sure. So let's talk a little bit about patients um, and their activity level. We mentioned earlier, the movement piece and how important that is. Can we talk a little bit about those individuals who were active before coming to treatment and the importance of continuing that active lifestyle after their diagnosis, and then the importance of potentially individuals who come in who are not active prior to their treatment and really encouraging that movement piece? Yeah, I mean... It's, it's such a personal, relative concept. I, as I mentioned earlier, I really try not to say the word exercise because right. it, it has a lot of negative connotations. Right. right. But then for some people, I'll say, well, how are we going to move? What, what's your movement plan for the week? And they'll say, what are you talking about? I, I, I'm going to go run. Does that count? And so I guess you have to start with... Um, really evaluating who the person is. And and that's really my job to meet them. Anyone that comes into my office, I meet them where they are. And it's my job to assess and see where they are and then then what tools and and techniques and suggestions can I offer to meet them there. 
Um, movement is critical. I, I, there's so much research right now on lymphatic um, drainage and keeping the lymph system moving, um, not having anything uh, to stop moving because that's when disease really finds it. I mean, research shows that then we're not that piece of the body or that tissue isn't healing. So just for that reason, active lifestyle or movement is important, but then there's the whole stress management piece. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the biggest piece. Sure. It's really hard to fight cancer when you can't see past your stress or your anxiety or your depression. So exercise is the best tool for balancing that out. And it's, you know, I like to say it's it's not medicine. It's not a pill. So it feels more palatable. Um, when you exercise, and, you know, there's there's a lot of research on what the best is. But really it's moving. And, and people always say, what's the best exercise? And I always say, the best one is the one you'll do. <laughs> so what <laughs> is that? You know, is it swimming? And um, I don't know. I get teased a lot because I, I do like to run and, and they're in you know, my patients or my, my colleagues will say, well, the people aren't going to run a, a marathon. <laughs> I say, you don't have to run a marathon. Just go do what you want to do. If you like to swim, go do that. If you like to just garden, do that. That's moving your body. Um, it, it most likely won't be what it used to be initially. So if, if you use the running example, I, I can't go run five miles, but I can walk for a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, and then work back up. It's a struggle. This is another piece of, of the loss because the expectation is after treatment is over, I should just get my running shoes on and go run five miles. Well, it doesn't work that way. I have to build back up to that. And so it, that takes a little emotional processing to understand I haven't failed here. My body isn't failing me. Um, it's going to have to start here. And so it it's hard for people to accept that and to understand that's the best. We, we will get to running the marathon again or something. Whatever each Whatever person's is. marathon is, yeah, right? Yeah, but start slow. The key is start slow. And so thinking about exercise and cancer, research really points to things like Tai Chi and yoga, um, mindful walking, just being outdoors, because it it just helps the body remember how to move, but also those exercises are very meditative, and that's going to help manage stress. Um, if you decide you want to walk fast or run or swim fifty laps, that's that's fine too. I mean, that's what you do. But let's just listen to the body and let it guide us. Because if it's too much, that's not helping. I I mean, when you exercise. Uh, a lot of things happen. We release um, cortisol. Where we, we deal with cortisol, which is a stress hormone. We deal with adrenaline. And when you're fighting cancer though, and you have all the fear and the stress of that, those hormones are always being secreted. And our bodies aren't intended to deal with that every day, every hour of every day. And so exercise helps balance that out. It kind of deals with that and then pumps in endorphins. and I call happy hormones, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, balancing hormones. So exercise is important, um, but but listening to your body and not overdoing it, that's typically what I see. I like to remind people that, you know, 
you look pretty good on the outside. Outwardly, you look great, but your body's working so hard on the inside to heal whatever's happened there. So if there's been surgery or reconstruction, we can't see it, but it's still healing. And so give your body a chance to do that. You know, I always ask here about fatigue. How's your fatigue? Oh, I'm so tired, but I'm mad that I can't run five miles today. And it's and then when they say it out loud, people will say that's well, that's kind of dumb. That doesn't make sense. But it's really because my body's healing, and so let's help it do that. Lori, reclaiming your life post cancer can be a struggle for some. Where can patients and caregivers go for resources and services in the community? Right. Um, I, th- I mean, again, this is the big this is the big piece because I'm finished with ac- active treatment, and so what do I do now? And you know, you you people, you can certainly stay. There are pieces of the treatment team like myself and our an occupational therapist and, and dietitian, and those pieces should keep going. Those are really important parts of life after cancer. I think it's helpful to find people and surround yourself with people who, what I call, speak this language. And, and I think that's my biggest credential, is that I speak this language. And so finding groups that are um, supportive and professional in that way, if you're looking at something like a support group, you want to investigate who's, who's managing that group or facilitating it, because you want to make sure it's what you need and that it's not going to hurt more than it's going to help. So, I mean, there are in in Omaha or in the, I guess, Nebraska, there are a couple organizations that I'm I'm familiar with. Uh, There's one called a time to heal, which is a um, cancer rehabilitation program. And it's, it's so awesome. It's all based on research, but it really looks at all the parts of life after cancer and by the way, my one of my favorite sayings is life after cancer is all about living. So how do we do that? And um, I mean, it, this involves things that people don't even typically think about, like relationships. Why won't my brother talk to me? Or why are my parents crying every time, you know, we go out to dinner? Or um, I, I haven't heard from my best friend this whole time. So that we have to deal with that after cancer. But then there, there are questions like spirituality and um, nutrition, exercise, supplements. And so all of that needs to be looked at. And you want to find organizations or individuals who can help with that. And so you know, there's a time to heal. Um, another organization that I really like is the Live Strong Program. They, they have so much on available to patients. And so if you just, I think it's livestrong.org. Mm-hmm. It, you, yeah, you can type in your specific cancer, and then and they've got patient handbooks, and I, most of it's free of charge. Um, I would also encourage people to to find there are almost always national organizations for specific cancers, and those are so great. Um, they they can provide a lot of education, but also after cancer, when I'm I'm building my new life. It helps to be around, it's, it's empowering to be around people who understand this and this particular cancer. And so, you know, after you can imagine after you've done chemotherapy for a year and, you know, some body pots are gone, 
wouldn't it feel great to go do a walk or a run or some event that that um, raises awareness for this particular cancer, but also hopefully uh, funding for research? It just feels very empowering and healing to be part of something like that. So I always I always encourage people to to um, to start small. What I often hear when people are finished with treatment is, all right, I want to go, I want to help other people, and I want to, I'm going to start something, a big group, or I'm going to start a you know, major fundraiser. And I say, wait, just let's hold on for a second. You know, let's just right. start small. And because you're really, it's, it's so admirable to want to help people, but we're not through our journey yet. And so let's, and that takes some time. It takes uh, I mean, I can't give you a time, but it takes years because we're really rebuilding who we are. And if you say, um, so, I mean, I have a lot of patients that say, I just want my old self back. I, I just want to get back to that. And I have to say, you know, I understand, but I'm really sorry you don't get to do that. And anyone who's had cancer doesn't get to do that because it's impossible. I can't be someone who hasn't had cancer. But that doesn't mean I can't be great on the other side. I mean, and that's where I come in. I kind of, and, and, and all of these organizations, the real work is after treatment stops. And I almost look at my job as, you know, there's the mental health, mental wellness piece, but then there's almost life coaching or how to, so the first half is let's get through this. And then the second half is let's figure out how to be great on the other side. So finding people and organizations that will help you do that is what you want to look for. So Lori, let's talk a little bit about metastatic uh, diagnosis. So what does metastatic mean? And let's talk a little bit about your services that are available for the patients, the families, the caregivers of those individuals going through this type of diagnosis. I mean, that's a great question again. And I'm going to call that the second (laughs) forgotten group in the cancer world because What metastatic means is the cancer has spread to other organs in the body. And it's hard to hear because, you you know, the initial diagnosis or what we call first diagnosis, there's always a lot we can do and there's treatment plans and um, standards of care. And so we, we kind of know what to expect. But when that doesn't work and the cancer continues to progress and spread to to other organs, the metastatic piece is a whole new game. Um, so when you're talking about life after cancer, this doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. And it's a really hard thing um, to think about, but it's really important. So because we still we still want to keep living and live our best right. life. And so a really important um, distinction and something that we need to know, and I always share with patients, about so there's an organization called the National Cancer Institute. And, and maybe five years ago, up until that point, they defined metastatic cancer as a fatal disease. At that, about five years ago, because so many people are living for a really long time with metastatic cancer, they changed their definition to a chronic illness. So, and this is an important organization. It's an important distinction. So it's no longer looked at necessarily as as a a death sentence, but rather, all right, I have this illness. 
and I'm going to have to live with it. So how am I going to do that? And it's not unlike something like diabetes or, or heart heart disease. Right. I just have to treat it. Um, and so for metastatic patients, you know, when when we get that diagnosis, it's a hard conversation. But but the way I like to guide my patients is, you know, they, we need to bump the game up. So we need to we need to really look hard at what we're doing. What can I add? What can I do differently? Um, the the fight has changed a little is is how I I frame it. And so, you know, we've talked maybe a lot about nutrition, but now it, it's critical. That has to be a piece here. And so the game increases, and my efforts increase. So it's it's a hard thing to hear, um, but but it isn't a death sentence. And so we, let's just. You know, we know we have some more information about my illness, so what am I going to do about it? What can I do about it? And who can I talk to? Who else can I get on my team? There, I mean, there, sadly, there aren't a lot of um, services specifically for metastatic patients, so it makes it really hard if you have metastatic cancer and you're sitting in a room with everybody else, first-time diagnosis. It, the language is different, um, and the expectations are different. So... But in Omaha, we have two amazing um, metastatic, uh, I want to call them support groups. They're facilitated by professionals. And they are um, offered through a time to heal that I mentioned. And But even within that metastatic group, what we have found is there, there are subgroups. So... One of there are two groups, and one group is offered to I'm going to say younger patients or patients who are very much in the fight and doing everything they can to continue fighting and stay in the game. And and there's another group that maybe the disease has progressed a little farther, and their options are are less. And and so the language in the in the support that you offer to those two populations looks different. So I'm really proud uh, that in Omaha we offer this. It's That is not a standard of care either. And it, it takes a lot of courage to go sit in a room and, and talk to people about I have metastatic cancer. But, but it needs to happen. That's part of treatment and healing and recovery. And so, or I guess living with cancer in this case. So I, you know, metastatic um, cancer needs. We have services, and then we also need to address the caregivers because it everything shifts now. We're we're not talking about a disease that will go away. We're going to treat it, and then it goes away. It, it looks different, and so same thing. Caregivers are entitled, in my opinion, to all of the resources available. We need more. <laughs> we need a lot more. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, great. Yeah. So, Lori, if patients would like to schedule an appointment with you, how do they go about that? And are your ins- are your services covered by insurance? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's really easy. You just have to um, call our office. And it's, it's typically covered by insurance. Um, so, you know, we'll help figure that out. But if most policies, uh, there there is a mental health component and... I mean, it's like going to your medical treatment. It's it's typically covered. Um, it, I mean, it depends on what your deductible is and all that. 
But they can call our um, integrative services suite that we have and just schedule with myself or I have another colleague, Jane Carges, who works with with me um, on the mental health part. Lori, thanks so much for joining us today. And to the listeners, we hope you feel more in the know after hearing this. If you are looking for a medical oncologist or you would like some more information on the mental wellness services at Nebraska Cancer Specialists, feel free to visit NebraskaCancer.com. Lori and her team is located at the Midwest Cancer Center in Legacy, located at 17201 Wright Street. They're in Suite 203. That's in Omaha, Nebraska, 68130. And if you'd like to schedule an appointment, please call 402-691-6977. We are thankful for the physicians and staff at Nebraska Cancer Specialists who have spent the time to make this series happen. A Parkville Media Production.